thank you. I always, I don't know where to stand when I come to this church. Steve, where should I be standing? Huh? Is it okay if I stand over here? You don't mind? There's freedom. Okay. It's good to be with you, and thanks. I, I appreciate Steve sharing the pulpit with me this morning. I, we had a great coffee uh, a couple of weeks back, and uh, I just twisted his arm a little bit to say, come on, let me get up here. I want to talk about something. And uh, Hazel and I are both here. You saw Hazel walking to the back there. She'll be clicking. And uh, we look forward to meeting and interacting with, we'll be here for both services and in between services at the end of the service. We, we look forward to spending some time interacting with you. And uh, I want to take this opportunity. Hazel and I want to thank you. This, this church has been uh, supporting us for a long time with your prayers and, and financially, and you continue to do so. And we want to thank you very much for that. Um, I'm not going to be talking about uh, what our real work is. Typically, uh, we work in Bible translation. That's, that's what we do full time. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Uh, if you're not on our email update list, I put a pad out there. If you, if you write your name on there, uh, we'd be happy to add you to our list. Um, or just take one of my business cards. You can, you can write us. And uh, I also brought along, uh, of course, uh, both my books, uh, if you're interested. One is Rubbing Shoulders in Yemen. Uh, the other is Iraq on Their Doorstep, uh, just in case anybody would like to purchase one. Uh, Iraq on Their Doorstep contains a lot of real-life refugee stories about uh, Iraqi refugees and uh, the things that they had to endure. Now, uh, I was going to start this morning by using the common greeting in the Middle East, Assalamu alaikum, which means peace be with you. Now, of course, it, this is a very common phrase. You hear it all the time. Everybody uses it all the time. Uh, of course, there hasn't been a lot of peace that we can talk about uh, in the Middle East these days. I'm going to show you some artwork. This is artwork which was created by a Syrian artist named Nizar Ali Badr. You never heard of him, did you? No, I didn't either, until he came up on my Facebook read. And uh, I just found it very effective. It, it really spoke to me and continues to speak to me. The stones representing Syrian refugees uh, that have suffered so much. Uh, millions of Syrian refugees that have lost everything and are wandering hopelessly. Uh, they're trying to escape the endless bombs and the radicals like ISIS. Syrian refugees have been overwhelming their neighboring countries like uh, Turkey to the north of Syria, Jordan to the south, uh, or to the west we have Lebanon. And of course, many have made their way to Europe recently. And currently, and for the next months, Thousands of Syrian refugees are arriving here in Canada. And it's all a result of the utter chaos that's happening in the Middle East. And we're going to return to today's chaos, uh, but first we want to look at some historical chaos that was going on in the Middle East. Okay, And namely, I, this morning I want to talk from this, the book of Jonah, from the story of Jonah, um, and I've inserted the relevant verses into the PowerPoint, so it'll be coming up, and then you can follow along. So let's start. One day the Lord said to Jonah, the son of Amittai, I want you to leave at once for the great city of Nineveh. I'm very aware of how wicked the people of Nineveh are, 
And so I want you to announce to them that I'm going to punish them. But Jonah had no intention of doing what the Lord had told him to do. Instead, he went in the opposite direction to try and get as far away from the Lord as possible. He traveled to Joppa, a city on the seacoast, where he found a ship which was about to set sail for Tarshish. Jonah paid the fare, got on board, and was soon on his way. Okay, it's time for a map. I like maps, so I'm putting up maps. Uh, Jonah was most likely in Jerusalem when God talked to him. Uh, Even though Jerusalem isn't specifically uh, mentioned in the passage, in the original text in the Hebrew language, but the use of the phrase went down uh, basically gives the idea that he was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem stood high, on high ground, and, and so people either went up to or went down from Jerusalem, whether it was just implied or stated overtly. Nineveh is the same as modern-day Mosul. Mosul, that's the city in northern Iraq. You know, when ISIS, you know, it was big in the news, I, you know, they came in and they took over Mosul, and uh, they started to occupy, uh, that's where they started to occupy big parts of Iraq. They wiped out a lot of the residents there, and uh, thousands of Christians, that was a, a big, huge Christian population up there, uh, thousands of Christians started to flee. Now, the distance from Jerusalem to Nineveh is about 890 kilometers, Okay, if you walked in a straight line. Uh, it's kind of like walking from here to Edmonton. Okay, with maybe minus a few mountains in between. And the trip to Jerusalem to Joppa uh, was about 70 kilometers. Joppa is part of modern-day Tel Aviv. Uh, so now Tarshish, who knows where Tarshish is? But we kind of figure it's on the far west end of the Mediterranean Sea, maybe Spain, You know, there's all sorts of conjectures about where it really is. But the important thing is it was way far away from where God wanted him to go. Far from where God had asked him to go. So why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why why was he avoiding it? Maybe it was the distance. Uh, It's a long way over land. You know, transportation was quite different. Might have taken him a month to get there. Okay, we don't often think of this. We go, oh, Go to Nineveh, and you go, oh, okay. You know, but we're talking like long distances. Um, maybe he was afraid to go. At the time, in that time in history, Nineveh was the most powerful city in the ancient Near East, the capital of the mighty Assyrian Empire. Assyria was an aggressive and destructive power at the time. It conquered and abused all sorts of people. And as a result, Assyria was feared and hated by nearly everyone in that region of the world, especially by Israel. Israel was defeated by the Assyrians in 722 BC. I think I'd be afraid to go there too. But we're not told the reason for Jonah's reaction at this point in the story. We're just told he didn't want to go. And so he took off in the opposite direction. So let's read a little more. But the Lord responded by sending a powerful wind which blew over the sea. It turned into a violent storm with waves hitting the ship with such force that soon the ship was in danger of breaking to pieces. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and also threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. While all this was happening on the deck of the ship, Jonah was sound asleep below deck. When the captain of the ship found out, he went down 
The low deck woke him up and shouted, How can you possibly sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God for help. Maybe he'll have mercy on us. Maybe he's the one who will keep us all from drowning. So Jonah went up on the deck of the ship with the others. When the sailors' prayers seemed to be getting them nowhere, they decided, we better draw straws to find out who on this boat can tell us which God is responsible for this danger we're in. So they drew straws, and Jonah was chosen. So they asked him, tell us who's to blame for this storm. They also started asking him all kinds of personal questions. What do you do for a living? Where did you just come from? What country are you a citizen of? What people group are you a part of? Jonah answered, I'm an Israelite, and I believe in the Lord, the God who's above all other gods. In fact, he's the one who created the sea and the land, and he controls them. That was all very well, but when Jonah informed them that he was running away from the Lord so he wouldn't have to do what the Lord had commanded him, they were all terrified. They said to him, how could you do such a thing? I'll never forget, Hazel and I were living here in White Rock for a while, uh, we're living in Cloverdale at the moment, and we were renting a house, and uh, one of my favorite neighbors had nothing but contempt and criticism for Christianity. He thought, what a bunch of hypocrites. Historically, even today, Christians are hypocrites. I loved talking to him. We had great discussions because I would listen to him. I listened to his point of view. He had a lot of good points. Our conversations always forced me to ask myself, how am I doing? Is the way I live honoring to God? Do people see Christ living through me? So far in this account that we're reading, it seems that Jonah wasn't having much of a testimony yet. So let's continue. In the meantime, the storm was getting even worse. So they asked Jonah, okay, so tell us, what your God wants us to do so he'll make the storm stop. Jonah answered them, you need to throw me overboard. If you do, then I guarantee you that the storm will stop. I know for a fact that it's all my fault that God sent this violent storm. So, sorry, we don't have time to read the whole story of Jonah, so I'm going to have to summarize parts of it. After some hesitation, the sailors finally decided to throw Jonah overboard and the storm stopped. And then we read in verse 16, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and promised to serve him. So that sounds good. This is, this is good stuff. The pagan sailors, they hear about who God is. Then they experience firsthand a demonstration of God's mighty power. And as a result, they all promised to serve him. That's quite a, quite a testimony. Anyway, the story goes on. Jonah gets swallowed by a large fish of some sort. I'm not going to get into who, what kind of fish this was, okay? That's, that's irrelevant as far as I'm concerned right now. The point is that God saved him by using a fish. Then in the stomach of the fish, Jonah prays to God. From the belly of the fish, he thanks and praises God for rescuing him from certain death. And he promises to make an animal sacrifice to God. And in the prayer, he even criticizes people who put their trust in worthless idols rather than in God. Jonah really sounds like he's got his act all together. And so after God has the fish deposit, I'll say it that way, Jonah on dry land, God tells him again to go to Nineveh 
And this time Jonah goes and he proclaims God's message. We read God's message in verse 4 of chapter 3. All you citizens of Nineveh, be warned. 40 days from now, God's going to destroy you and your city. Now, we're not told if the message contained more than that. You know, did, did he tell them to repent? What, what's the whole message? We don't really know. But we are told the response. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on sackcloth to show their sorrow. And that included the king who declared to all his subjects, everyone, get on your knees and pray to God with all your heart. If we all do what I'm commanding you, then God will see that we've really repented. And then maybe he won't be so angry with us anymore. And he just might change his plan and have mercy on us rather than destroy us. And of course, God's response. When God saw that the people of Nineveh had truly repented and that they had put a stop to their evil lifestyles, he had mercy on them and let it be known that he wasn't going to destroy them as he had threatened to do. And what about Jonah's response? As for Jonah, when he found out that God wasn't going to destroy Nineveh, he got really upset and he complained to the Lord about it. Oh Lord, I knew this would happen if I came to Nineveh and told the people your message. And that's why I tried to run off to Tarshish when you first asked me to come here. I didn't want to give them your message. I knew that you're kind and that you're a merciful God. You are patient with people, and you don't get angry quickly. You show mercy to anyone who turns to you. I know that you can change your mind about punishing evil people when they repent, but the people of Nineveh don't deserve such good treatment from you. It appears that Jonah had his theology down pretty good. He, he knew a lot about God. He knew God was merciful if people repent. And the people of Nineveh do repent. And yet he still wants them to, to be destroyed. So he knew how to pray the right prayer when he was in the belly of the fish. He also knew how to describe God pretty well. Uh, but there was far more, there was an element missing in Jonah. And at the appropriate time in the story, God's going to tell him what that element is. So let's continue. A plant grows to provide Jonah with some shade and then it dies. And Jonah gets all upset again. And that's when God makes his main point for Jonah. The Lord responded, here you are so concerned about this mere plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't even take care of it to help it grow. It was nothing more than a plant which was here one day and gone the next. Just think about it. There are over 120,000 people living in Nineveh. Those people had no idea what the results of their actions would be. Even the cattle in the city are more important than a mere plant. Shouldn't I be concerned about all those people? And that's how the story of Jonah ends. A final word from God to make Jonah and, of course, us reflect on our attitudes towards others. Now, when John McCallum, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship, first announced that Canada would be accepting 25,000 Syrian refugees by the end of 2015, many Canadians were shocked and didn't think it was a wise decision. Others were encouraged by the development, proud that Canada was reaching out to these, giving a lifeline to these refugees. 
And then the unthinkable happened. It seemed like a lot of unthinkable things happened. But this one, a group of ISIS supporters killed over 100 innocent people in Paris. Opposition to having the Syrian refugees come to Canada intensified, while those who supported the refugees argued it was unlikely that ISIS supporters are going to be amongst these refugees coming here to Canada because they're being screened. These people are being looked at very carefully. But the argument went on, and some even started signing petitions. Friends of mine, they were signing petitions. You've got to stop this. Keep the refugees out of Canada, or at least slow it down. Let's not rush into anything, they said. We've seen the news with its abundance of pictures and videos, and I find it all very disturbing. It's upsetting, as I'm sure you all find it disturbing too. I want to show you a short video clip of what Jonah wanted God to do to Nineveh. Jonah wanted God to destroy them all. Of course, this isn't Nineveh that you're looking at. This is the city of Homs in Syria, located close to the Lebanese border. Total devastation. The film was done by the use of a drone. It's hard for most of us to relate to the suffering that millions of Syrians have had to go through. Imagine being forced out of your comfortable home, being forced to flee with only what you can carry with you. And if you're one of the lucky ones to survive, picture yourself suddenly living in a tent in a foreign country with no possibility of returning to your home or to your village, which lies in rubble. Picture yourself totally dependent on the mercy and help of others, hour after hour, day after day, or maybe even year after year, you hope that some country somewhere will take you in, and especially your children, so they can start over and live in peace. It's a little overwhelming, isn't it? Whether we like it or not, the Syrian refugees are coming. They're going to be placed all over Canada, as you've all heard. Some of them are going to be potentially in our own neighborhoods or close by. They're arriving in Canada poor, hurt, rejected, emotionally and maybe physically scarred because of what they've gone through. Let me assure you that it is a highly, highly unlikely chance that they will be supporters of ISIS. The Syrians who are coming to Canada are trying to escape ISIS. They will have been interviewed by professionals to determine if they are truly refugees deserving help. Many of them will be whole families, probably with lots of children. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going up to Salmon Arm. You know, you guys like to go to Salmon Arm? Beautiful area up there. Eight churches and various other groups had all joined together to sponsor a number of Syrian families. And they asked me to help them orient them to the Syrian culture so they'd be better able to understand how to deal with the refugees. So I spent a whole weekend up there. It was, it was a lot of fun. I spoke six times uh, in three days, exhausting, but very worthwhile. One of my talks was about uh, what led to the current refugee situation. Now, if you're interested, uh, I'm going to, about learning more about the Middle East conflicts that have been come about, uh, the huge refugee crisis, then you can join me at the TWU Trinity Western University campus on the 25th of March, where I'll be giving a seminar to address that topic. Or you can join the seminar through live streaming. 
If anybody wants to know more about that, I'll let you know. A week before I arrived in Salmon Arm, they had received their first Syrian refugee, a young Muslim man named Mustafa. Maybe some on the news. He was on CBC. His family was interviewed twice by the UNHCR, then by another organization, and lastly, by the Canadian Embassy. Yes, you heard right, four interviews, him separately from his family. They were all interviewed over and over again. Uh, his whole family was supposed to come together, but because he was over 18, uh, the Canadian Embassy uh, gave him a separate file, and the guy got sent all alone to Canada initially. So he was the first one to arrive there in Salmon Arm, like a, just a week before I arrived. And uh, we're praying that the rest of his family will be able to join him soon. Anyway, I, I got to this workshop, the first session that I did of this workshop on a Friday morning, and I'll never, rem never forget Mustafa, he walked in. I didn't know him, he walked in, and I greeted him with assalamu alaikum, and we started exchanging a few phrases in Arabic. He was so excited. His smile was so wide. It, it, was, it, was, it was just so neat to, to see that. He showed up at every session I did. From then on, I did six, well, all the ones he could go to, five out of six. One was at the high school, so he didn't go to that. Even when I preached, I preached on a Sunday morning at Broadview, actually, Broadview, the Evangelical Free Church up in Salmon Arm, and he wanted to come to that. You know, he was, this is a young Muslim guy. He was just so excited to, to be, you know, people were really reaching out to him. And we're friends on Facebook. We exchange emails and, and text each other. And I phoned him a couple of times. He's already started studying. He's only been here for a few weeks. He started studying at a college. Uh, and he, he's actually got a job. This is, I mean, it's really cool. Stuff that's happened to him. I think Canada's really going to benefit from, from Mustafa and from a lot of other Syrians like Mustafa. Canada is being so selective we're so worried, but they're being so selective, and they're bringing in top-quality people. They're really watching who they're bringing in. So the question, of course, is how are we going to react to the arrival of the refugees? As followers of Christ, how should we treat them? Jonah lived in a state of fear and hatred. He viewed people according to the knowledge that he had about them. Ah, we all do that. We find out certain stuff. You know, uh, the, the key is to be properly informed. Today, most of us depend on the media to find out. Okay, eh, I have my doubts about some of the media that people watch, but that's okay. I have my biases, you have yours. Uh, a lot of us are especially concerned about Muslims coming. Uh, unfortunately, the information that reaches us is often quite biased, uh, twisted sometimes, whether intentionally or just out of ignorance. It's uh, in the early 1990s when Hazel and I were living in Amman, Jordan. Beautiful. If you've never been to Oman, go to Oman, Jordan. Beautiful. The capital of Jordan. We mixed with a lot of different people. We happened to be acquainted with somebody who worked for uh, the American embassy, and, and they were a believer, and they said, oh, we would we'd like you to come to our party. So we went to their party. There were a whole bunch of other embassy people from other embassies. They all gathered there, a few dozen people. By the time we thought it was time for us to go, so... Uh, we said goodbye to a few people. A few people gathered, were gathered around us, uh, and they found out we were going to take a taxi. We were going to go outside and wait and take a taxi to go home. And one of them said, you're going to take a local taxi? Someone else said, aren't you afraid something might happen? 
was quite obvious that these people had never mixed with the local population. They, they knew nothing. And then when we told them where we live, they said, we, we lived in an area where the American embassy told their, member, their, their citizens, don't ever go there. It wasn't safe. Well, Hazel and I lived in such areas for years. We had the opportunity to mix with some of the most wonderful people, people who watched out for us. They cared about us. I went shopping. I'd be gone for two hours because everybody wanted to talk to me. They were so friendly. They were happy to interact with us on the streets. Our children were born there, and we went on local transportation. We even took buses, rubbed shoulders with thousands of people. Uh, many of them visited us in our homes. Sure, some of them were difficult to get along with. What can I say? I'm not saying they're all angels and wonderful people. I've had more problems with my Canadian neighbors than I've, I've had in, in Jordan, believe me. The embassy workers at that party, they all had private cars. They all lived in fancy apartments. Their wages were 20 times more than what Hazel and I lived on. And they listened to the exaggerated information that they were fed and they believed it. I've mixed with Middle East Muslims from all levels of society in various countries for over 30 years. I've, there are a lot of people in the Middle East have problems. It's, it's a fact. But you have to remember, they live in oppressive and sometimes abusive situations. Most people are victims of some sort. And not all Muslims are the same. The extremists like ISIS do not represent all Muslims. I don't think they represent any Muslims. In fact, Muslims are the ones who are suffering the most right now. The majority of the millions of refugees are Muslims. They've been ill-treated by one side or the other. They're just caught in the middle. I want to read to you what one of my friends recently wrote. Between the bombings in Europe and the Middle East and the ongoing refugee crisis, I found myself painfully reminded that we live in a world that seems to have a never-ending string of sadness and brokenness. What is also true is that we live in a world where God has chosen and designated a special group of people to get out there and be the solution to all of this brokenness. That group of people is the church. In a world where people say, yikes, we have a ton of refugees, they need a safe place to stay in and will need to be taken care of. It's the church of Jesus Christ that should be standing up and shouting, hey, that's our job. Send them to us. We'll take care of them. I agree with my friend. We always need to keep in mind what Jesus said. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. Jesus came to establish a culture that was unlike any earthly nation. His kingdom also has a unique set of rules. We as people of the kingdom are called to live by the kingdom principles that Jesus established. Perfect love casts out all fear. And the opposite is also, also true. Fear casts out love. Fear can turn us into the priests and Levites that Jesus talked about in the story of the Good Samaritan. Fear will always lead us to the other side of the road, away from the one in need, because fear convinces us that to stop and help is too dangerous, too unclean, or too costly. Should we, the church, let in the refugees? It's true if we open our borders, our doors, our homes, our hearts 
to Syrian refugees or to the homeless or to foster kids or to recovering addicts or to poor people, we may very well end up getting hurt. Maybe some terrorists will sneak in. But it's our identity in Christ to take that chance. When Christians are too terrified to love their neighbors and instead act like priests and Levites, then the terrorists have already won. Are we really going to let the terrorists win? I don't think so. Then the man from Samaria, who the Jews despised, came along the road. As soon as he saw the injured man, he felt sorry for him and decided to help him. Thanks for letting me share this morning. God bless. Yeah,